Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diane. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you today, Robert? Today, Russell, I am feeling grateful. Oh, yeah. That's and nice. that is a word that I have learnt through today's guest's work. And um, I've also been thinking a lot about being grateful for the everyday. Um, and even just like looking at the trees around you and like being appreciative for how blue the sky is when it's not a grey day and when it's a sunny day, particularly in Margate in winter, um, and maybe slowing down a bit and just kind of being appreciative for the beautiful world that we live in, even though obviously the world is in terrible times right now. But I think we all have to hold on to hope. And um, today's and guest... gratitude, right? And gratitude, yeah. And I actually think it's a really important thing that every single person listening needs to kind of think about if they haven't already thought about. Not to be like dictating here, <laughs> but I do think there's something about gratitude and just sort of meditating almost on how good each of our lives is, you know, to the point where we are right now. And um, today's guest is a painter and uh, author and has made the most amazing book. Well, actually, books, plural. But um, the first book he wrote, um, Little Big Things, has now become an extraordinary musical. Um, and we will be talking about that journey. I know you and your mum, Russ, went to see it the other week yes. and uh, you were crying and like loved it. it. And it's a story about family. It's a story about kind of journeys in life and the unexpected events that happen to each and every one of us. But some people it's more sort of challenging and um, today's guest was in an accident in 2009 that left him paralyzed from the shoulders down and since his extraordinary recovery you know coming to uh, even be able to sit up straight I've been watching videos of his journey in in his chair and he discovered his love of art which had been something that had kind of inspired him throughout his life and he's now a mouth painter so we are really excited and proud to welcome to talk art Henry, Henry Fraser. Fraser hi Henry hi guys thank you thank you very much for the intro uh, how are you doing today great thank you yeah another good day how are you guys doing all right yeah, yeah very another, good another, well. another good day where, where do we find you in the world um i am at my home sitting in my studio at the moment um out near watford all uh, right and this and this is um a home that you moved into recently and you built yourself a studio there yeah so i moved in almost exactly two years ago and i've been i bought the project the house back in 2017 and then started to just rip it out start again and build my own bespoke house with and everything i needed and yeah, it had to include a studio and it's very cool to have that space. Nice that I can kind of be in my house, but kind of feel separate from the house as if I am in kind of my own workspace. But then in the evenings, I can go enjoy the rest of the house as if, you know, nothing's changed. It's just chill and yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it down here. What's the studio like? And did you know before, I mean, did you talk to architects or did you have in your mind's eye exactly what you wanted the studio to be like? To be honest, I had no idea kind of what I wanted. I've... I've always loved architecture. I've always loved design. The main things I really wanted was just big open spaces in the house. Kind of to keep things quite simple. And that's what they've done. The studio is just, it's great. It's got all the storage I need, all the builds and stuff. It, look, it does look like a proper studio, but the lighting's perfect. It's got a stunning skylight at the top. That's just kind of that lovely northern light that glows throughout the day. Big windows at the front. I can look out into the front courtyard. Yeah, it's perfect. Cool. Although the view behind us, it actually has your book, um, or or maybe it's the program from the musical. 
Oh, that's, yes, that is. I can see the words. I love mm. that, that type font as well. Little big things. And the big word is huge. So um, can you talk a bit about when you first wrote the book? And, you know, because we're going to go on this journey now. <laughs> so I started writing back in, I think it was 2016. It was released in September. It was actually released the same day I bought the original house that was here. In 2017? Yeah. So did the, did the exactly house come from like a book advance? Was there like a... Was you able to move your art into property? Yeah, I just it just came about coincidence the house was there and then it all just got rushed through on that same day and I was just you know, I stressed with eggs having to do all like morning TV bits and up early and then suddenly this is calling me going, You've got to exchange today or it's not gonna happen. I was like, brilliant, that's fun. Um <laughs> and then yeah, that book yeah, that book's taken me on a pretty wild journey. People seem to really respond to it. I was able to do some pretty cool stuff with it. And yeah, it's been a mad few years with it. Well, it became a Sunday Times bestseller and it then went from the novel, your memoir, and it went to this West End musical that Rob was talking about in the intro, which, yeah, I went to see the other night with my mum and we cried our eyes out. And it, congratulations. I mean, it, it must be... I, I can't imagine what it must be like for you, but I know that you've been back many times and you've seen the show many times. And... It must be so, you must feel so proud, but also I, I fear for you being triggered because it's really like it's, it's raw what, what goes on because it tells the truth about what happened to you. Yeah, the one thing, because in the book, when I wrote the book, the one thing I've always tried to do when I talk about what happened, when I go out and give talks to, to people and everything I write, I try and be as honest as I can. I don't want to ever hold anything back and, that's the thing that the single biggest thing that people respond to most is that honesty of not kind of sugarcoating anything that happened. And that's the, one of the things they really got in the, in the show, as well as just many other great things. But for me going to watch it, um, it was definitely, there's always four parts to get me emotionally. Um, the rest of it, I just love. <laughs> I actually love it. I love going there. I love the songs. I love Love the theatre. I hope they give um, you free tickets as well. It's not like you're having to pay a book <laughs> online each time. Oh, uh, yeah. No, they do. It's great. They look off. Did you get comps? <laughs> Good. Um, but I remember first, we ended on the first preview night to watch it because we didn't want to be the premiere night to be the first one. We wanted to go watch it. First preview night, get the emotions out of the way so we're fine um, for premiere. And then I remember sitting there and... Um, sitting we're having dinner in the restaurant for one with the family and my oldest brother i'd say is the least cry out of all of us so i was like okay i'll sit next to you because i don't want anyone kind of bawling their eyes out sitting right next to me and then i just kind of turned around probably through the play and he's just screaming into it and like this isn't very helpful but then there's a bit towards the end where i could just hear there's a bit where i could just hear pretty much whole tears of just sobbing like actively sobbing and I'm sitting there, the biggest smile on my face in this moment, going, "Wait, is there something wrong with me that I'm not, I'm not, that I'm not crying here? Like, what's wrong with me?" But I just loved it. I think I'm just so far removed from the emotion of it that because I talk about it so much, and I've just kind of accepted what's happened. That I was just enjoying it every second of it, kind of just trying to enjoy that moment. I mean, how many people get to say that their kind of journey, their lives, a Western musical? And, Oh, yeah, I just love going there. I want to enjoy as much as I can before it, before it finishes. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, your philosophy is uh, accept and adapt. And also, every day is a good day. Uh, I've seen you've got merch on your website, which um, I'm going to get the hoodie because I think it's fucking brilliant. Um, but th that, that philosophy, accept and adapt, and you're just saying like you feel removed from it. That's that, How did you get to that place? And do you think you've got to that place through finding art? No, I'd say the art came later, but that's definitely helped me. The art's definitely helped me just settle into, you know, just a really comfortable routine in my life. But the acceptance happened earlier. I'd say from the accident to full acceptance was about 13 months. Right. Um, and that was when I went back to school to complete my A-levels. And, yeah, that 13 months was, you know, emotionally, physically just, brutal there's a lot i kind of had to deal with it i was content with you know being a fit and healthy young 17 year old boy to 
kind of having all that taken away in the split second was, yeah, it was a lot to deal with. Um, but it's 13 months of a lot of trauma, a lot of hard work, a lot of determination, a lot of, you know, trying to find strength in me that I've never had before. But that 13 months of all that work and, you know, just not stopping for you know, a whole future lifetime of happiness was, is worth it, I'd say. And I, I, I read a really beautiful um, part of your book where you were talking about the time when you've been in hospital and, and you know, you've just been indoors the whole time. And then somebody finally took you outside, I think, and you were able to kind of appreciate like the sun on your skin just because it had been quite like cold inside and it was this the the way it was written it's just so beautiful um uh, uh, you know about appreciating the really simple things that you at the age of 17 had never really even thought about it was kind of stuff you just never would have even consider you take for granted i guess yeah take for granted exactly yeah a hundred percent i think you know looking back i can see so clearly all the stuff i did take for granted I had so many opportunities in my life. I had so many chances to do things. You know, my brothers and I were given a very privileged life by our parents. We had, yeah, countless opportunities and I just didn't take them. I didn't make the most of them. I always shied away from lots of things and ignored the little things in my life that were there. Um, that time, yeah, that time I was taken out, it was, um, yeah, I spent the first five weeks in hospital not even having a window to look out of. And then it was two months before I'd even able to go outside so these things are building up and you know at that point it was you'd almost forgotten what it felt like all those things so to suddenly feel it and feel it so intensely so kind of raw was was special and then it just kind of wake wakes you up to go oh kind of what else what else am i overlooking what else am i missing what else am i not you know feeling and feeling my day-to-day life and that's that was all part of that kind of 13 month journey and a lot of kind of practicing that every day and talk, reminding myself about that every day until it comes to kind of natural part of my day to day psyche. So the, we're talking to you today via your iPad and the iPad has in the way that David Hockney has kind of made the iPad very central to his art practice. The iPad has become something incredibly important to you. And it was in January, 2015 that there was a shift where you were bored, you were bedbound, and you looked at your iPad and something happened. Yeah, so I had a, a pressure sore on my back. And as a consequence of spinal cord injuries, lack of blood flow, kind of being seated in the same position a long time, all these things build up. And um, so I spent the first kind of week in bed just doing nothing, having to lie on one side and air my back and lie on the other and just that, just all week. And then when I was able to finally sit up in bed, there's only so much daytime TV that you can watch for. It really drives you pretty pretty insane. <laughs> and I control an iPad the same way I paint. I just have a mouse stick with a stylus tape on the end. And a couple of cushions on my lap, and I just started drawing. I just found a really basic drawing app. I just wanted something to do. And the early stuff was so basic, so linear, but it was just felt great. It felt like I was just doing something new, something different. And when I was able to get out of bed, it started to evolve when I could actually be an easel and drawing. And then a few months after that, I started actually painting. And it's just taken me back to, I always loved art when I was young, when I was a kid. And I just stopped it as I got older. You stopped it because and, you, of sport, wasn't it? You, like, you loved art and sport at the same yeah. time, but you went down the sport route. Yeah, because they, they, they both required a lot of time. And I'd much rather be outside or in the gym than stuck in a classroom. So art became this annoying thing that was just there in my life that this kind of annoying shadow just kind of pestering me and bugging me. So I really was kind of resenting it. And I didn't like it the way it's taught at the school either. So when I had Max and I just stopped. I remember seeing paintings by mouth artists in the hospital. And my family actually said to me, at the time we should give that a go. And I said, oh, I just said, no, I'm too lazy for that. <laughs> Little did I know. Um, and yes, yeah, so when I started, it was giving me back that same joy, that same excitement, that this was just me at my easel. And I love just sitting there for like two, three hours at a time, audio book on in my studio, just in my own little world. It's brilliant. You should try listening to the podcast Talk Art as well. That's always good. Artists <laughs> like listening to that. Oh, I forgot to say, yeah, listen and to that. And that talk, obviously. What is, 
So what is a mouth stick? I know it sounds very obvious, but what exactly is it? Where do you get them from? How does it work? So as my dad originally found it, um, originally I was using a, um, a laptop with voice recognition stuff, software. But you can't use that when you're in a room with other people because it's the interferences and things. So I got an iPad and then my dad found the mouth stick. and It's just a like a metal rod basically with a, v-shape at one end with little rubber sleeves on the end that you just grip in the kind of the back back teeth and then you just tap the screen the stylus and that's it it just so it gave me this brand new freedom where i was able to do i was able to kind of message people my ipad i was able to do my own emails and thing, do all these things whilst i'm in a room with other people um and it's just great freedom and then yeah and then we i just found um some other ones on online that you could with a clamp on the end for paintbrushes and pencils and stuff so i just bought loads of them and just started with that and that was it that's that's kind of how it all started and that and it's so basic it's so like such basic tech but it just opens up so many different things it's also really beautiful that you're able to like you know find deep within you something that you love and that brings you joy and then you're able to kind of you know bring that into the world i think it's like i don't know like even watching you doing text works because i know we'll talk about your actual figurative kind of painting in a second, but some of my favorite things are like when they're almost like slogans or kind of yeah. phrases that are very manifestos. I love, I love yeah. watching you that there's films of you, uh, you know, using the mouth um, paintbrush and then, and then doing these texts. And I just think it's so beautiful. Like there's something so kind of um, direct about it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I think it, yeah, even just the act of doing it is so direct. The fact I'm so kind of close to it. I'm only, Oh, no, my face only about a foot, foot and a half from the easel. Mm. So I'm really kind of in there whilst it's happening. And after a while, I do tend to go a bit cross-eyed and staring at the end of a brush the whole time. But I love that. It's just, I'm so kind of in it that there's kind of nothing else happening around me. It's just that, just me in that moment. And that's it. Yeah, you don't need anyone else for that moment. You're, you're by yourself. And, and do you go into a sort of zone with it? Is it, is it like therapeutic? Did it, did it start as therapy before you realized that actually it's a career? No, it just starts as a hobby and then kind of snowballed, really. <laughs> but I, the one thing, I've got this great balance in my life at the moment. Of I can be at my easel in my own space, in my own world, and that's always been me. I've always enjoyed being, you know, having time by myself. I've always been the quiet one of the family, the shy one who, you know, my brothers are great, fun people. They can go into a room and talk to anyone and immediately be friends with people. And I was always the one that was kind of standing back and not, not doing these things. When I was really young, my older two brothers would be outside kind of playing together. I'd be inside just with my Lego, my Duplo, or just anything I could just build stuff with. So that's kind of my time at the easel. That's me. That's always been that part of me. And then this other side where I'm out talking, giving talks and doing things that challenges me and pushes me because that's not me. And it makes, and it is a, you know, a challenge for me every time, but it's a good one. It kind of gives me that, pushing me outside my comfort zone, but then I can go back to my comfort zone and be happy and calm and chilled. You know, everyone says, you know, I've always got to step outside the comfort zone, always got to do this and do that. And yeah, it's good every now and then, but we all need a safe space, a place where we feel calm and happy and not think about anything else and just be in that moment with, and just, yeah, just be happy. So I want to talk more about this this clamping of the of the thing in in on your jaw. Then is that why you've got such a square jaw? Why it's so chiselled? Is this quite a, quite a workout? Like <laughs> keeping that clamped and yes. how long? How long? How long do can you maintain that for? It's, not, it's the jaws, not though. It's the back of my neck that really gets it. Because um, I've got the easel, and then underneath the tray of paints, out uh, in the water, and then below that, on my across my arms are. Um, Plus, I'll wipe my brushes on. So it's that act of constantly bending down and up again and down and up. That's the most tiring bit. Um, but I have reduced my time at Easel. The when I painted, I did a painting of Everest, which is actually on the cover, front cover of my second book. And I wanted to do that. I think I'll paint that back in 2017, maybe. And I started on the Monday, and I just really wanted to get it done that week. And even though I got to Thursday, my neck was really tired and I wasn't kind of feeling it. I just pushed through. 
I was way too much. All five days, I think just four hours straight session every day. And I, on the that Friday night and Saturday morning, my neck was just blown and the tops of my shoulders were just gone. And I just pushed it way too hard. And in that moment, I really kind of thought to myself, I go, well, I'm not going to do that again. That's just stupid. Sent me back a few days and I really wasn't enjoying the painting at the end. So I decided to limit myself to only paint two days a week now. But when I do paint, I enjoy it so much more. I feel so much better whilst doing it. I'm not pushing myself too hard and I'm not good at leaving things unfinished, but I've had to just accept that, okay, I'm not going to finish painting this week or wait till next week or even the week after and come back to it and do it again. And it's just made my work lives, even though I'm working less, but I'm just resting more. I'm kind of understanding what works best for me, but resting more allows me to enjoy the painting more. I work much better. I work much freer. I work much more confidently. And then it, yeah, it just works out well. And yeah, it's a lesson to be learned. And it was one I needed and it worked out really well for me. So your main subjects are animals and nature. People come into your work. Why is that? And having this big window that looks out onto uh, your courtyard, you were saying, do you see foxes and birds and stuff? Is that, is that also like a place where you get inspiration? Yeah, so one of the... But actually going back, I don't, I can't remember why I started with animals. I'm not entirely sure. I think you said your, your grandparents asked you to paint a dog. Oh my God, I totally forgot that. Yeah, they had a dog, they had a little dog called Max. I died and they asked me to paint. And I did this kind of quite like cutesy little painting. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't one of my best, but I did enjoy it. And yeah, it just seemed to work. Having that kind of single figure on a page seemed to really work. Then I started to do more and started to do more and then started to experiment a bit more with different colours and things and keep everything quite, I don't know. It's quite that single image on a plain background seemed to just work well in my style that I could really explore colour more and try different things in that way without having to worry about adding, adding extras. It's just that single moment, single piece. And yeah, my mum and dad live... Well, they only live six doors up the road, actually. I didn't move far. <laughs> couldn't, I couldn't quite fully cut that umbilical cord, could I? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but it's in their garden, they had a big garden that was open to lots of nature. So we always grew up kind of looking outside, and there was foxes. These get deer running through oh, the garden. Oh, yeah, we did where I grew up as well. It's, Amazing. Amazing. Mm, deer. Oh, yeah. It's, every time you look out and suddenly see one, it's always It's exciting. magic. It's always, Absolute magic. Moment. Yeah. yeah. I think foxes are kind of magic as well, though. I, I mean, I saw something the other day on the London bus. There was a fox on the back seat just chilling oh, during yeah. the day. And I was like, that, <laughs> like, people were freaking out. I thought, That's, that fox is ballsy. That, I really respect that fox. That's perfect. Yeah. Full fair play, too. <laughs> exactly. I bet he didn't have to buy a ticket, did he? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just love seeing them. And then in my, um, yeah, my bedroom rear of the house, and I've got these kind of huge broad ceiling kind of glass sliding door that I can just every morning wake up and see see nature's direct connection oh, to wow. it. Um and I made sure we planted the garden with loads of you know animal friendly, insect friendly um planting and trees and everything and it's great. So I I love it. I love just sitting out there, especially in the um in in the winter I, I can sit by the sliding doors at the at the back and just be kind of feeling the sun through the through the glass but and just looking out and just enjoying it and yes yeah, so i do have a really close connection to nature so it's something that just developed over time like it wasn't something i kind of actively tried to kind of pursue or kind of really wanted to do it just happened and because i think you started with you started with sports people because i think one of the first mm. things you're a big fan of johnny wilkinson rugby hero yeah. icon i think you started with a, a, a painting of Johnny Wilkinson's. You were like really exploring rugby, first of all, painting and mm. on the iPad. And yeah, so I was when I started, I thought, okay, what's you know, what's something I really love? What's and it's sport. I'm one of four brothers. It's the insanely competitive household. <laughs> always was, always will be. Um, and yeah, when I started, it was just that just felt kind of nat the natural way to go. And then as I started to do more, yeah, it was Johnny Wilkinson, I think I did a Federer and Lewis Hamilton. 
Chris Hoy, Jess Ennis. I think those are the, some of the first five. And then when I started to do more, then people would ask me to paintings and stuff. And I remember I got this one, um, my friend's aunt asked me this one of a of Audrey Hepburn. I did this kind of black and white, um, you know, the one with the long cigarette, that kind of classic oh, yeah. shot. From Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah. And I loved it. And then suddenly doing that allowed me to kind of start to think, oh, maybe I'll explore a few different things and do this. And so I started to take commissions and then got very bored of commissions. Jeez. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So, so no commissions. <laughs> too limiting. Don't, do you take, do you take commissions now? I do now, but very rarely. Okay. You've got to be very special. I didn't for about five years. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and so I, well, because I did this one of these uh, siblings contacted me and said, oh, can you paint this picture of our house in France for their parents? It was, it was an anniversary thing. And it took me, it was seven sessions to paint it. And normally it's three is like a long one for me. And I was just so bored of it. I was so bored of it. And after that, I was just like, that's it. So I'm not doing this. I'm not enjoying this. I, well, quite awkwardly, because I wrote about it in the book. And then I did a literary festival. And weirdly, the parents who had the painting were there in the audience. And they came up to me at the end. I, feel like, <laughs> I was like, no, I did enjoy it. I promise. I just had to write that in the book. But, oh, that's so funny. Yeah. They introduced themselves and then, oh, we're the ones who you didn't really like painting the house. And I was like, okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you just said you're really competitive with your brothers. Do you think being competitive has given you this incredible willpower and this incredible drive to make art i think it's definitely an element to it um i think they're all very successful what they do and i think it's trying to keep up with them um but the only thing that drove me most is just that i was just enjoying it so much and i do just really love doing it um that yeah when i find something I really want to do and I just get lost in it. And yeah. The competitiveness comes out in other ways. <laughs> not, not great ways. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was curious though, because I thought it's really interesting. Like you, you, you'd been so good at rugby and you'd had that kind of discipline and, and sort of focus that I think is needed to be a team player and um, to excel even just with like working out to make sure you're healthy enough, all that stuff. So I think once you've had that, in any kind, you know, not even necessarily sports, but just that idea of like a work ethic. I think that really helps. And I can definitely see that drive. You've obviously got that drive, haven't you? Yeah. The only place I really pushed myself for the accident was in the gym. But luckily, I was always just naturally physically strong. And I could do more than most other people. That was one place I, I guess I felt most comfortable because there's a lot of other places I just didn't. And well, a lot of time on a rugby pitch, just general social situations. Um, so I always had that kind of physical drive. And that was one of the things that really helped me in hospital when it came to the physio, came from learning how to breathe again, all those things. Kind of, that would be, I thought to myself, okay, where was, where was most comfortable? Where did I, where did I push myself most? And that was physically. And I thought, okay, that's going to be my focus. That's number one. That's going to get on board and start moving forward um, in that way. But yeah, the other side of it, that work ethic, I used to, I mean, I used to be so get out of everything as much like good beforehand. I'd find an excuse not to do stuff all the time. And in rugby, there'd you know, be some injury that I'd, some minor injury I'd have, but I'd play it up to me more than when it was. There's always times I try and get out of stuff at school. And yeah, I always went into everything with just this kind of wildly negative uh, mindset. Wow. Um, I've always kind of thinking about the worst outcomes of things. And I just couldn't stand not failing at something, but not so much that it would drive me to do it and want to succeed to the point where I would find any excuse to get out of it. So I couldn't, I just wouldn't be able to handle it not going right. Um, so yeah, when the accident happened, I just kind of had to completely switch them with that kind of physical mental strength, kind of swap them over and shove that physical strength up into my head and try and find something that I, just never had before mm. but also your your progress was actually much faster than people were expecting i think the doctors said it would be a longer process for you to kind of you know get 
get through those early stages? Like within a year or so, you were already yeah, they, kind of... When I first went up, so I had two and a half, three weeks in Portugal, and then three weeks in, and uh, two weeks in intensive care here. And then when, when I moved to the acute ward after intensive care, that they said to me, oh, you're, gonna, you're most likely to be here for 18 months. And then I was out within six. Oh, wow. Um, but it's because that physical, it works. After I had a conversation with them, I spoke to them and said, okay, what do I need to do to be able to get out of hospital? And they said, oh, you need to be in the rehab ward. Okay, what do I need to get to the rehab ward? They say, ideally, you need to be breathing independently. Because at the time, I was still uh, fully ventilated. And um, after they said, you need to be breathing independently, sat down with my physio, and I said to him, okay, what, like, how are we still going to start this? What are we going to do to get there? And, you know, what was an 18 month end goal was reduced to five minutes the following day. At the end of the physio session, after we did all the lung workout and all these things, we'd take the ventilator off and I'd breathe five minutes independently. And that was it. That was that goal. And the next day was 10, 15, 20, half hour, 40, and then you just kept building, kept building. And initially, I wasn't thinking about leaving. Those thoughts of getting home when my head is just that small moment, that following day, that kind of moment where I was going to give everything I possibly got in that moment and push myself. Because I knew I'd be able to rest afterwards and rest before. You know, I was, I was in hospital. I'm not going to go anywhere. I can't do anything. So I was like, okay, this is it. And then I just built and built. And yeah, it just got faster and faster. And one thing we really did in those moments was celebrate that progress that's happening each day. I knew each of those goals I was going to set the following day were achievable. But in that moment, that's what I needed to do. I needed to set those goals and celebrate each time I achieved it and take it off. Because if there was a day where I couldn't extend time with ventilator, at least I'd kind of all those memories of going, okay, look how far I've come. Look what's happened. And so when something negative did happen, it wasn't hitting me so hard. I was able to deal with it and go, okay, I'll do more tomorrow. I'll do something. I'll try different tomorrow. And it's, yeah, it just built. And then eventually I was off the ventilator in eight weeks, which that, well, yeah, they'd never seen before. Which wow. cool. And then, yeah, they got to rehab board and then I was out and home again. And then I was back at school within 13 months of the accident. And yeah. And yeah, it was reducing everything down because those long term goals, those thinking that far ahead can be, can be really overwhelming, especially if something happens along the way that can delay it or you know, whatever. That can hit really hard. So suddenly, I wasn't going to ever do that again. I wasn't thinking that far ahead. I don't think that far ahead of my life at all now because it does distract from, you know, now, this moment, and all the things going on around us. It can, gives you tunnel vision and you just ignore it, everything that's, you know, good in our day-to-day lives. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, I guess that's the title, The Little Big Things, isn't it then? Like every day, like, it's a little mm. incremental shift, but it become, it's massive. And that's where the title come from, right? Yeah, exactly. It's just all those things just pile up. And it's all, that's everything in my life now is yeah, reduced to the smallest moments. Yeah, those things, yeah, when they add up, they add up something pretty big, pretty special. And, you know, I wish, I guess I'd known that before, before the accident. <laughs> But I'm so happy I know it now. 
Yeah, we all live in the little things, don't we, on a daily basis? It's like the, it is the mm. gratitude, like Rob was saying in the intro, for the little things that we have. And, but they are big because they're our lives, because, you know, our lives are big. But the little things we, we need to appreciate more. Yeah. And, you know, we're surrounded by, you know, kind of little joys, little moments, all these little things every single day of our lives. We all are. But we just become so. Because they're so plentiful, we just become numb to them. We just become immune to them. We don't see them. And it's why kind of those negative moments really hit us hard because they're the rare moments in our lives. Those aren't happening all the time, but when they do, they really hit hard. But if you're able to recognize those small joys, those kind of small points of gratitude, all those things every day, when those negative moments do happen, they don't hit as hard. You're able to deal with them. You're able to accept them and move on and get back to kind of being happy again. Mm. So if you think about being in the moment and being present, um, I know you started painting in 2009, but it was then you, your, your kind of passion for art was rekindled with the iPad uh, years later in like January 2015. Um, and then you decided to get a watercolour kit, I think, which, which which sort of led you into actually painting, you know, with a medium or, or whatever. And then that led to gouache. Can you talk a bit about you know, the first time you were doing watercolours and, and what, what were that kind Wasn't of Wasn't it your brother's like? kit as well? Didn't your brother give you it? Yeah, so he bought me as a birthday present this whole kind of art set. And, um, yeah, the only paints in there were watercolour and I'd never really used them before. And I just started using... And I still probably didn't use them the right way. I don't use any of the materials or anything I have in the right way. i just kind of just gone with kind of what's felt right and works for me um followed your instinct what is the what, what is <laughs> yeah. the right way though if, if you are the artist oh. don't you get to decide how you want to use the materials yeah that's true but i i think i'm just so kind of tainted by school then going oh you have to use them this way you have to do this with them and i'm a bit like oh, long. you're a rebel Re- nah. Re- rebel <laughs> heart <Maverick. laughs> that's, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. I, I say that's one label i've never had <laughs> <laughs> i was a prefect at every school i was at I don't think rebels in my nature. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> well, maybe it was just hidden, the artistic rebel within you. Um, yeah. yeah, so what was it like then painting with watercolours and then... So it was fun. I did enjoy it and how I was using them. But then I think I'd asked my... Um, I remember, it's when I asked one of my parents to pick up some art supplies from a town nearby. And the people in there were really helpful. They were brilliant in this shop in uh, Berkhamsted, near where I live. And they said, oh, has Henry tried using uh, girl ash? And I hadn't, so they brought some back. I started painting with those, and it was a whole, opened up, it was a whole new ball game with those. Suddenly the colours, I went from everything being quite kind of pale, you know, with watercolour, they tend to be that way, and then suddenly it was just bright. I can paint this thick, because it sort of sits in that kind of sweet spot between watercolour and acrylic. That well, allows it's fairly it to... graphic, isn't it? It really works for your graphic sort of image, mm. yeah. Because I can, yeah, work with it with a lot of water and blend it really nicely, but then use it just straight like acrylic paints as well. So I can really get a lot out of it without having to always change paints, always change brushes and do these things. It kind of just works out really nicely. And I've loved it ever since. I just, I don't think I'll ever use any other paint in my life. It's also got a kind of fluidity of movement to it, doesn't it? Because it's kind mm. of connected in a way to watercolours. I know it's like a water-soluble gum i think that the that the pigments uh, the kind of raw pigments are like bound within so it's a real it's a different thing to like acrylic paint or oil paint it's got a real like way of movement and i think you can do like like the animals that you're creating i feel like all of their expressions and i don't know it it really works for it yeah and it's one of those just kind of happy coincidences that that person was in that shop that day and i just i'd asked just suggested it and it's yeah like allowed me to do so much more stuff for that and because I paint on I just use mount board as background um again I started using that because it was lying around but then as soon as I started using go ash on that especially suddenly it was really kind of everything started to really kind of pop and kick and do these things that hadn't done before ever in my life and it just started to say oh okay what can I do with this how can I try this can I try these colors can I try these images can I do something different. And it's just, you know, each of these things, kind of, all these steps along the way, all these 
kind of moments, but it's finally set in something that I guess my own style now. <laughs> what is uh, what's mountboard? Uh, it's just this it's the stuff that basically gets used in classrooms that they put on a wall and then you stick stuff to that wall. You like staple things to it. I feel like it's used in framing as well, though, isn't it? When you, I think, oh, like yeah. the, the mount back, that goes the backboard. Ah. Yeah, it's like it's like the backboard in so a frame, it's got quite like an a, th- frame. a thickness mm. to it. It's quite a solid. It's yeah. Not like yeah, and it's quite smooth uh, as well right, sometimes. Right, right. Yeah, and some of them you get shiny ones as well. I've got this gold one that I use that is, uh, uh, painting on that with the gouache is just so satisfying. It's really weird. Really? It's so satisfying. <laughs> when did you start calling yourself an artist? Uh, I still don't use. I still say mouth artist, but I don't know. I can't remember when I started. But it still feels quite weird. I think it's one of those things where I kind of left it off my Instagram profile for ages. Bizarrely, I've, yeah, I left it off for ages and I started to use it kind of tentatively. But the moment I wrote my book, the day my book came out, I immediately chucked author in my social media bios. Yeah, stuff. of course. Yeah, I wanted yeah, yeah. to write that one. <laughs> Yeah, time. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was something I'd never ever wanted to do in my life. I'm going to do so. I was like, okay, I'm going to make milk this as much as I can. <laughs> when you so you were saying when you were in hospital that you discovered other mouth artists. Are there are there many mouth artists that you now know personally, or you've connected to, or that we should all be aware of? Um, no, there are, I haven't actually managed to connect with many. Um. But in the hospital, there were some like magnificent paintings in the kind of the chill out room um, on the ward, and the details they had in there were like really, really special. But no, I haven't really had anyone. There is there's a charity, the Mouth and Foot Artists. I think that's what they're called. I should know what they're called. <laughs> um, but they produce like really cool work. It's a great, really gives them a platform. Their stuff, they produce some really stunning Christmas cards, especially every year. But yeah, apart from that, I know I haven't really connected with many. How do you feel about selling art? Do you find it hard to make these paintings and then let someone else have them? Like you, you did this commission, obviously you were probably sick and tired and ready for that one to leave, it sounds like. But but other ones that you make, is it quite hard to let them go and sell them? Definitely. Um, I've always been a bit of a hoarder anyways. So, oh, really? <laughs> And it's, yeah, when I paint them, especially ones that I really love, um, I tend to, when I paint something, I'd get it scanned and you know, off to printers and for um, prints and things. Oh, you and make editions the of them? Yeah. And then the other first time, they're just in a brown envelope in my studio in storage. And that's it, they just sit there. And then every now and then, oh, um, Know, some my PA will maybe kind of go through them and work out. We we'll go through them again, and I forget which ones I've done. And then I go, oh, I quite like that one. I'll keep that. And then I realise actually, no, I do need to get rid of some of them because they're just pointless sitting there on a shelf, not doing anything. So I may as well just get rid of them. But yeah, it's tough. I do, especially yeah, ones I really like. There's a few that I'm not going to sell um, for a long time, if ever. Like, like what ones are those? There was one I did of uh, the wave, and uh, because that was one I painted. So I was like, I was trying to think, what were the things I really enjoyed when I was young painting? And I remembered I did this recreation of um, Hokusai's The Wave, um, and I, I was seven, eight years old, and still hands down, it's probably one of the best things I've ever painted. Um, so I was like, okay, I want to try and recreate that and do that in my style now. And I went to paint it and I had this idea of what I wanted in my head of not that wave, but just a wave kind of just at the point of breaking as it's kind of the white foam across the top. And I went in thinking about one thing and it came out just completely different to what I, how I planned. I just started painting and I, I don't know, I just completely changed it. I did, it took me two and a half hours to paint this one thing, but I loved it because I think it was the time that I really kind of the freest I'd let myself be whilst painting I wasn't trying to keep to a certain line and do anything it was like I'm just going to do this and see what happens and play with this and the moment I finished that I'm never always quite sure when I'm done with the painting but that one I knew immediately like hey that's it I'm done I absolutely love this 
I think the fact I've been so free, it just I had the confidence to just do it. Um was great. And so I always have those memories attached to that painting. So that's why it's always just gonna sit hidden away in my studio. Wow. And your works are very intricate. Do you ever make mistakes? Do you ever go like, ah, oh, that mark is annoying and what and how do you work around that if that does happen? Or do you not make mistakes? Is every line perfect? <laughs> I wish. Um, <laughs> the, um, I do, but I, I tend not to make many. I'm quite a perfectionist anyways. I've, um, so when I go to put the mark on, I kind of know exactly where it's going. Um, but when I do, I just get some thick white paint, paint over it, let it dry, and go back to it another time. Um, but I've only ever had to restart I think two, three paintings because it had gone wrong. And I remember the first time I had to start again and I was just in such denial in my head. I was like, no, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to make this work. So I sat there for like another hour trying to make it work. Got to the end, I was just like, why have I just wasted that? That was so pointless. But I knew, I knew it wasn't going to work, but I don't know. I just had to. Um, yeah, I talk a lot about acceptance, but that moment, that was not happening. <laughs> and the scale you work on, do you- is it quite uniform the scale or, or do you have ambitions to go bigger and is there certain subjects that you really want to sort of tackle next um the scale because i paint on a3 right um that's purely because the kind of limitations of the reach um but i i kind of still in my head kind of toy with the idea of doing kind of like an image over multiple uh, over multiple boards so split it up into kind of four and try and get something big um, but I'm still yeah, I don't know still not sure about it still not, I'm not sure if it could work um, one of the things that I should try but I don't know it will happen at some point next year I always say next year um, <laughs> 20, 2024 but you you have an exhibition coming up next year from what I work out because I've read that you want to try and do an exhibition every two years and your last one was in 2022 at the Grove Hotel in Watford called Hand to Mouth and in this exhibition you had 46 works which is incredible so now next year is 2024 that's two years have we got an exhibition by Henry Fraser next year? Uh, yes there will be it's oh, yet great. to be confirmed but it will if it happens it will be the weekend of the 14th September oh great which is actually exactly one year since the, the premiere of the musical as well, which lined up really nicely. And will there be as many works, if not more? Surely uh, Probably more. What? Um, really? You're prolific. <laughs> yeah, when I get on a run, I really get on a run. But then I say that, I could go through like three months of just not painting. Um, depends how the musical goes. But yeah, we'll see. But I do definitely get want to get more into painting next year because... Kind of the back end of this year with the show and everything. I just haven't really, in fact, even since start of summer, I really didn't get a lot done because there's all like the promo or the other bits of the play. I just want to keep my time free. Yeah, this next year, it'll be a lot of painting, I think. Great. Back on it. Do you enjoy the kind of um, promotional side of it all? Because I've seen some really fun pictures of like Gordon Ramsay and like Chris Robson and like um, all kinds of people. Like you're even on Jonathan Ross. Uh, with Fern Cotton, I think, or somebody. But like, what, what what's all that like when you're suddenly on a kind of uh, public stage in that way? Um, at the start, it's weird, and it still is weird a lot of the time that I've kind of been able to do these things. But again, I just enjoy it. It's just cool um, getting to meet all these people. You know, again, do stuff like this. This is doing these things are things I never thought I'd ever do in my life. Or even when I started art, you know, I never thought these it would ever lead to doing doing things like this. So it's it's fun. It's cool. I just try and enjoy it. All these things that pop up. I just try and enjoy it. You, know, you don't know when things might change or whatever. I just make the most of those moments. And I think my friends, my family probably enjoy meeting kind of those other people more. They keep asking me. I'll keep scrolling through my phone and seeing which new numbers I've got. These <laughs> things. <laughs> um, so I've also read that you love Portrait Artist of the Year. Is that yes. something that you would consider being an artist on? No. Oh. I have thought about it. 
but I just don't I don't like painting with people watching me. How interesting. I've done a lot of um you know interviews over the years and TV bits where they always want to film me painting. And now I just say no. I I've given videos of me painting, but I don't want people filming me. I just hate people watching me whilst I'm doing it. Suddenly makes me feel quite self conscious. Right, right. And like, oh, what are they thinking? And whereas yeah, with that, there's so many people there. Um Plus, then I don't want to be told that I'm not good enough. <laughs> oh, I said, that's the competitiveness in you, then. You literally you just yeah, don't want to be I'm, in competition. That's it. If I'm in there, I'm going to want to win it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I probably. won't, because those people on there are pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, are, are there artists that you sort of look to? Are you, are you fans of any artists? Because I, I heard that you watched a documentary about Turner and you were really into how his work had been received in his lifetime, you know, all the criticism he had and stuff like that. Are, are there artists that you're a fan of? Like, do you like Turner? <laughs> Yes, I'm, I love, again, I've never really explored art or artists before my accident. But now I just love watching. I love, I love watching people's process of doing things. And it's mm. not always so much the end product that I love. It's, and I've always loved that in things, especially when it comes to like training and sport and, you know, what are people doing to get to that kind of produce that end product. So I love watching people. That's one thing I love about portrait artists when you've got nine artists and, you know, they're painting the same thing, but their starting point and their process along the way is so wildly different mm. that it's just fascinating. Like, I'm just asking myself, oh, why are they doing that? Or why are they doing that? And then, yeah, the one thing I love watching about Turner was, you know, I just love, love, I always want to know how he just produces that work. How he gets to that point where, you know, those skies, painting skies is tough. <laughs> and so to make them epic and beautiful is quite something. Um, but you know, I just I swap from artists. I like it depends what kind of documentaries I'm watching. I watched the BBC three parts on Frida Kahlo recently, and oh, yeah. that's fascinating. And then understanding her story and her journey along the way, and why she's producing what she's producing is is incredible. It's suddenly opened your eyes up to kind of looking at her work in a very different way, and, um, and understanding why she's put certain things in, which is great. That's all. It's all part of the fun of art, I think, isn't it? Yeah, like the symbolism in particular. Mm. But also, she had her own accident in a in a, yeah. a, a bus um, where her spine was was damaged, and then throughout her life, she had times where it was worse. So, you yeah, know, she and she spent a lot of time bed, in bed, bed and, painting yeah, exactly, in bed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, her life story is really about surviving through creativity. It was actually how I got into mm. art. I mean, I just I, right. I love that as a yeah as a as a kind of concept. It's sort of. I don't know. I think it can keep so many of us going in life. You know what I mean? Like this idea that you can improve yourself, you can contribute, you can, you know, um, maybe even cathartically kind of express mm. the way you feel through creating something. So it's like a positive because well, it's you know making art is to so creating many something people. new. I'm sure that you yeah. have connected. You mean like us today? You know, you connect to so many people because of your artistry, because of being a mouth artist, and because of your storytelling so many more people are inspired by you and you you absolutely made many people feel inspired to become artists or to do other things or to have gratitude thank you yeah it's all yeah the messages get, get from people is always quite something one thing i love most is that people are taking kind of taking it to schools and things and you have to our teachers teaching their kids about mouth artists and trying to get them to paint and make them experience something different and understand something different and and all those things which I think are great, kind of opening kids' eyes up to all these people doing things differently, understanding why they do things differently is is great. And yeah, to kind of be part of that with those those people is always very special. I really liked you describing creativity as problem solving as well. Like it's it, you know, there's a way of like problem solving and you kind of enjoyed that. Yeah. And I I I love I love problem solving I've always kind of enjoy those types of things yeah so when I'm painting there's a lot of yeah it's working out what's coming next what needs to go there to to make that work this way or what needs to yeah it's just like you're constantly just piecing these things together um, along the way until suddenly final piece in place to go oh, that's done it's finished chuck that one away and move on to the next one yeah well, before we get into our final questions, I want to work up, talk about one painting in particular, which actually made it onto the cover of uh, The Little Big Things, your memoir, uh, which is titled Me on the Beach, which is an incredibly 
uh, poignant and very moving image. Can we talk about that image? And and is this one of the, this is obviously you, this is a, a self-portrait. When did that come about? And is that something that you explore a lot? So that, um, we have a holiday home down in uh, Dorset, uh, near the coast. And I've been back to Beaches, Magston. Um, we'd been kind of down by the water. And it wasn't something I kind of actually tried to avoid. It was just, kind of, okay, well, beaches are just pretty inaccessible places anyways. I just thought, okay, um, there's no point kind of going down there. It'd be a hassle. But then we went and, you know, my brother's happily kind of dragged me across the sand or lifted me up wherever I need to go. And it was just great to be down there, all of us as a family down on that beach. And it was just kind of the colours I've used in the um, in that painting are the colours of how the day was. It was bright, it was sunny, it was kind of golden, it was all these things. So I just asked my mum to take a picture of me on the beach because I wanted to paint that moment. And yeah, as soon as I got back um, home, I just started. And I thought, okay, well, this just lined up really well with and everything I've been through, everything I've done, and now with the art, this is kind of perfect loop almost. And again, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's by any means the best thing I've painted technically at all. But in that moment, I didn't. That doesn't matter to me in that painting. It's kind of more of what it is, and having that as chosen to be the front cover of the book. Because it's one of the ones I really wanted to be the front cover of that book. And I'm very happy the publishers went with it. Um, I hadn't painted it for the book. It was just painting I'd done. Although this is kind of perfect for this. this. This kind of sums up everything. The title, everything that gets spoken about in the book is in that painting. And it's um, last time I went to see the show, the bit where the, the paintings appear, I was sat directly looking at that in that corner when that painting comes down, just eye level with it. I mean, again, I forget that, you know, I've painted that and suddenly see it big up there. I was just like, oh, cool. Okay. That's kind of what it's all about. This is this is pretty cool. Amazing. Well, you're brilliant. We're going to get into our final questions now, Henry. Thank you so much for spending this hour with us. It's been uh, amazing to talk to you. And, and yeah, as, as as I said, that the, the musical is just, yeah, me and my mum just sat there sobbing and laughing. And it was it's such an excellent brilliant show and i would advise everyone to go and see it so thank you also about kind of fr uh, family oh, and, yeah. and the yeah, connections yeah, yeah. you know mums such and a sons powerful yes. yeah, yeah beautiful yeah, yeah. story yeah yeah they've um yeah. they've put together something very special everyone who's everyone who's worked on that um yeah they've produced something really really special down there beautiful well the first question uh, that we ask of uh every guest is if you could do an art heist, you could steal any artwork in the world for yourself. What would it be and why? Oh, wow. Okay. Good question. I'd probably have to go for Hocker Size the Wave. Wow. Because of that connection I have to it, to that painting. And I remember watching a program recently as well. They said, um, the Japanese read from right to left and not left to right. And, I hadn't thought about that until last year I saw this program about it. And suddenly that image changes. We're not, if you read it from left to right in like a Western way, it's like the boat's trying to get away from the wave. Whereas if you read it from right to left, the boat's trying to get over the wave. Oh, yes. And suddenly that, yeah, that painting just changed. And, and again, it opened my eyes up to look, actually think about where art's produced and how you're meant to read it and look at it. And, I think that was quite, a, that was just a really cool moment when I remember reading that and seeing that and I thought, okay, that's, that's something new for me. I really enjoy that. I mean that, yeah, that's like overcoming something, isn't it? Instead mm. of being, yeah, running away from something, it's almost like triumph over adversity, which is, yeah. Yeah. Powerful message. Yeah. And because the, yeah, the connection of the painting with the painting of the wave I did as well is, yeah, it's cool. I think that would, I think that would have to be up there. Where is... Where can one see the wave then? Do we know? Is that like part of a, it must be part of a collection somewhere. Because it, and it's, it's an old painting, is it like painted in 1830? Let me look it up now. 1831 yeah, it was created. Mm. Wow. I wonder, would you know where that would be in collection, Rob? I think it might be at the Met. 
Oh, or it, it was at the Met. I'm pretty sure I've seen it in New York somewhere. But it, or, or maybe I even saw it at the British Museum. Maybe it's one of these ones that I've has definitely to, seen like, it. It might be one of the ones that's like touring the, the world. world. All the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are we actually planning this heist now? Yeah, yeah, we're going to do it. Yeah, big chance. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get it in your in your studio there, so oh, you yeah. can just sit there and, and look yeah, at it. Yeah, trying to see where it's at. But, um, um, no. Yeah. The other question we ask every guest is, "What is your favorite color?" And adding on to that, I'm also interested in how color is important to you as like an emotional tool. Uh, my favorite color is orange. Yes, good man. That's my favorite color. Oh, nice. It's rare to find another person that loves orange. Is it? Yeah, I know it is. It's true. I don't. Everyone's always yellow or red, blue. Like, come on, guys. It's always passionate people who like orange. I like blue. Because it's a a vital color. Um, Yeah, yeah. I know something about it. It's just. Yeah, there's something just bright and just happy about orange. I understand why people can dislike it. It can be a bit flat sometimes. But the right orange is special it just feels just warm just a nice like warm glow it's like getting a hug from a color oh yeah because or you you painted a tiger a few times i guess that's orange and mm. orange you use a lot of orange in your work right yeah i, I want to use it more but again it's one it's quite hard to kind of make it really really work sometimes um i mean orange and blue always just kind of works together the painting I did, the tiger on that blue card, um, that blue really, and that orange seem to really, really work. Um, but in other colours, it can tend to just not work, and which is annoying. And I was thinking about what colour means to you in terms of, like, I know the proximity to the mount board, you know, it's all quite close to you. Like, what does colour, like, when every time you're painting, do you, do you feel something that you're sort of getting from colour? I've always loved colour. My um, my mum's uh, did interior design for a while, and so our house was always bright. All the phone, everything for years was just bright and colourful. So I've always grown up. My dad's a graphic designer by trade, um, so we've always kind of grown up with these things around us. But I just, I've always just been a very visual person. I was never kind of great with like with sitting in a classroom and re- looking at text. I was. I hate it. I hated reading. I really enjoy reading now, but I used to hate it because I need to be kind of visually stimulated by something. And I've always loved just animations and cartoons. And mm. I just loved, it was always just the color of things that just really made me feel good and happy. So yeah, I love it. And I love having it in my house. I love kind of having moments. And yeah, I've always tried different color combinations and work out what's best and, is that the same for your hair? Because we've seen you with, with uh, dyed blonde hair at the minute. <laughs> yeah, I actually had a haircut about half an hour before this. Oh, it's great. Because yeah. <laughs> um, it, it was full, like, full white earlier. Um, yeah, that was a lockdown moment. Uh, shock. Oh, we, we all did that. It stayed. <laughs> we, all, we all had a bit of a hair breakdown during yeah. lockdown, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. Uh, mine stayed. It's, I don't think I have to stop because I did it the other day and then had a shower to get rid of the the bleach and at the top of my head was stinging a bit so oh no i think i need to take a bit of a break that's <laughs> luckily inner... i've got thick hair yeah, that's yeah. fine yeah, yeah that's yeah. the inner punk again the inner rebel the guy <laughs> that you says doesn't exist <laughs> you're expressing He's trying to it. break out somewhere isn't he <laughs> he is yeah what is the best advice you've ever received when it comes to your art um i had i've had one art teacher in my life that i really liked I think it was year nine or year 10, year nine, because he left at the end of year nine. And he just, he just wasn't, if he knew something wasn't going to work, he wouldn't, he didn't say to us, oh, that's not going to work. Don't do that. You just say, give it a, give it a go. Even though you could see it in his face, you could, you knew that he knew it wasn't going to work, but you're like, okay, I'll give it a go anyways. And he just kind of allowed us to make those errors ourselves. I think that was really important because all the other art teachers would be like, no, don't do that. Do this. Or, do this, do this. And that's kind of not what art's about. Art's not meant to be restrictive or follow certain lines. It's meant to allow people to be creative and explore new things and try new things. And, you know, art's the most subjective thing going. It's, it's kind of what the person wants to do or how they feel. And to restrict that is, is just kind of wrong. It shouldn't happen. It should be purely kind of something that you should be able to explore and try and 
yeah, and I think he was one art teacher that had to really let me feel that, and all the others just didn't. I think that's that's why I just really didn't enjoy art before. What was his name? Mr. Fell. Well, Mr. Fell, you're a legend. Thank you so much for yeah. <laughs> inspiring Henry and that sounds like a really good message for everyone this has been wonderful for um, everyone listening please go to henryfraserart.com uh, an amazing uh, site of all of uh, Henry's work and uh, philosophy and access to where you can buy the books and I don't know if you can book tickets from there but if you can't you must go and to, to Soho Place uh, theatre in the West End, uh, the show... Yeah, it's, it's on the, the Charing Cross Road and it's actually on the site of the original Astoria Theatre where we used to do gigs back in the day. Um, yeah. But now it's got a oh. new life because they've they built a whole new building there and it's got this incredible theatre, Soho Place, and you can visit at Soho Place. And it's called The Little Big Things and it runs until the 2nd of March 2024. The music and lyrics are by Nick Butcher and Tom Ling. It's directed by Luke Shepard and it's absolutely fantastic. And also you can find Henry himself on Instagram at Henry Fraser Zero. And I also want to say thank you to Hilary Williams, who actually first told me about the book, told me about the musical. Because oh, yes. she's she's a theatre benefactor and just an amazing woman and recently became a friend oh. of mine and Tracy Emmons. And uh, she came to Margate and hung out and we were talking a lot about you, which is how oh. I even heard about you. So um, I'm very grateful to Hilary as well. But um, most of all, thank you to you. You legend. Thanks, Henry. And uh, yeah, it's been a real honour to speak with you. Thank you oh, so no. much. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So we'll be back very soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for Bye, listening. Henry. Thanks, Henry. Bye. 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 You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.